This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. Some of your trials and tribulations might put you in some kind of prison. Paul made his prison a place of prayer. No matter where he was, he made it a place of prayer. I don't know what you're going through, but you may be in prison by your trials and tribulations. But as a child of God, it doesn't matter where you are, where you're at. You can make that place where you are right now, where, whether you're sitting or standing, to be a place of prayer. God will always be with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The Apostle Paul experienced so much suffering, pain, rejection, and imprisonment, all for the name of Christ. It was all so difficult, yet Paul knew, without a doubt, that God was with him in every storm, every prison, and every beating. He felt God's peace and was sustained by God's mercy and grace. Pastor Eddie will encourage you today to, like Paul, Seek God in prayer wherever you find yourself. He's with you through it all and will sustain you too. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 as he begins his message, Timothy's Faith and Heritage. Let us now turn to our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 as we study God's Word book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We began uh, 2 Timothy with an introduction last week, um, and we looked at the who, what, where, and why for this letter. 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. Um, he wrote it to his son in the faith, Timothy. While he was in a prison in Rome, he was waiting to be put to death. So this would be Paul's last letter. Even though the letter you see after 2 Timothy is Titus, Titus was written sometime after 1 Timothy. So we're looking at 2 Timothy. Now, 2 Timothy is not part 2, Timothy part 2. Though it is considered also a pastoral epistle, along with 1 Timothy and Titus. Uh, but Paul's reason to write the second letter, Timothy, are far different uh, from the first. The first was, you know, writing to him as a young pastor, how the church ought to conduct themselves in the house of God, qualification of leaders and deacons. And it's important for us to know that and study that because the church has changed quite, uh, I won't say quite, but I would say very uh, too much. Uh, in a way that is not the church the way God intended to be. That's why we fear God and we study his word. But the reasons why Paul wrote this second letter was three reasons. The first reason, and it's actually the theme of this letter, is to encourage Timothy to be faithful to the end. To be faithful to the end. That is the theme of this letter. Second, to encourage Timothy to remain faithful to the work of the gospel. Remain faithful to the gospel. Do not take away, do not add. Stick to the word of God, and that's what we do here. And thirdly, um, he wanted to pass on the mantle of ministry 
to his son in the faith, Timothy. The key verse, even though 2 Timothy has so many popular uh, verses that we have probably on our refrigerator or uh, one of those little, you know, uh, I don't know, the, the daily bread. I don't know if you have that. I love that. Where you take out a verse every day and uh, it's very, they have so many popular Bible verses in 2 Timothy, but the, the, the key verse for the entire epistle is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, where he writes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and have kept the faith. And the theme, of course, to be faithful to the end. And that's the encouragement from all of us. When we begin as Christians, we don't just stop there. We continue on to be faithful to the end. When is the end? Uh, I don't know what's the end for you, for me. Uh, It could be uh, the Lord could take us uh, just before his rapture. But you want to be found faithful to the end. A lot of people, uh, Christians, ministers, pastors, leaders, always have a good start. They always start well. Not many finish well. And that applies for every believer in Jesus Christ. We start, we gave our lives, and we surrender our lives to Jesus. But we want to finish well. We want to run the race, as the Apostle Paul says here. Now, that brings us to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. And so let us read verses 3 to 7 of 2 Timothy. Paul writes... In verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, And I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gifts of God. I'm sorry, that's singular gift of God. Which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This section in Paul's letter uh, last study, we looked at verses 1 and 2, introduction. Uh, now we're looking at this section of, his, of Paul's letter to Timothy, deals with Timothy's genuine faith and his heritage. And so we read the text, let us study it verse by verse. Paul begins in verse 1, the first three words, I thank God. I thank God. At this time, Paul knows that it's in a matter of days that he will be put to death. And so he's anxious to see his son in the faith, Timothy. He wanted him to come to him and see him for the last time to give him final instructions. Because you know that the church continues on, is not dependent on a person or any man. And I can imagine the early church at this time were wondering, what would happen if the Apostle Paul was no longer with us? That's the same thing the prophet Isaiah said. When King Uzziah was in, in, on the throne, he died. All of Israel, Israel was very successful. And he said, there's no one sitting on the throne. But then he looked up as we sang that song, I see the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. He said, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's a president or a leader. What kings are before us today, what matters 
is who sits on the throne in heaven. And so here, the Apostle Paul, he knows the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ has nothing to do with him. So now he passes on his uh, mantle of ministry to his protege, his son in the faith, Timothy. Notice that Paul did not start his letter by complaining. And you won't find that anywhere in his epistle. He did not call for the churches to say, hey, listen, gather and get a prayer chain, a prayer circle, and start praying for me. I'm in prison. That God may, by his grace, set me free from this dungeon. Or that he was, my life would be spared. Paul knew that he was in a dungeon. Obviously, it was cold. It was dark. There was only one hole in the ceiling for air and light. He knew that he was ready Uh, He was about to be put to death, but he did not call for prayer. It wasn't about himself. Paul cared about the gospel. He cared about people. And so instead he calls Timothy. But he made this cell in which he was in, he made it a place of prayer. That's what I find amazing about the apostle Paul. You put him in prison and he writes a letter to The church of Philippi, Philippians is known as the book of joy, 19 references. You put him in the cell and he starts writing about joy. No complaints. Here is similar. Here is similar. Instead, you know, he didn't pray for his life to be spared or to be set free from a cell. He's in a dark, cold, smelly dungeon. And he gives thanks to God in the midst of this. I thank God for you. How often do we find a reason to thank God in the midst of being in prison. You have to be in a, in a physical cell, but some of your trials and tribulations might put you in some kind of prison. Paul made his prison a place of prayer. No matter where he was, he made it a place of prayer. I don't know what you're going through, but you may be in prison by your trials and tribulations. But as a child of God, it doesn't matter where you are, where you're at. You can make that place where you are right now, where, whether you're sitting or standing, to be a place of prayer. God will always be with you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he's with us. He dwells with us in our hearts. Christ is not here when you come here. He's in your heart. So before you left your house, he was with you. When you were in your car on your way to, uh, to fellowship, he was with you. He's with you now. He'll be with you after. He's always with us. And I can tell you this because when I made the daily commute in and out of New York City, it was an hour and 15 minutes each way. That's on a good day. Friday, sometimes it took me two, two and a half hours to get home. But by God's grace, I learned that that hour and a half in my car made my car prayer closet on wheels. I made it a place where I could worship God, where I could listen to the sermons, which I have. I listen to the sermons, the sermons of Pastor Chuck Smith. Being fed daily, every day for an hour, going to work. I listened to two sermons practically a day. By the time the end of the day, there was worship, there was prayer utterance. It would just send up to heaven. Obviously, I did all this with my eyes open. I didn't pray with my eyes closed. (laughs) Saints like Paul, be thankful to the Lord wherever you are. 
Be thankful to the Lord. Here the apostle Paul was truly thankful to God for Timothy, his disciple. He was with Paul when he wrote six of his 13 epistles. He was his helper. He was companion. He was even a cellmate to the apostle Paul. So he says in verse three, I thank God whom I serve with the pure conscience as my forefathers did. The word serve here in verse three in the Greek is the Greek word latrero. And it means to serve in sacred services, to offer gifts, to worship God. It is actually a priestly phrase often associated with worship. So how did Paul serve? How did Paul worship God with a pure conscience as his forefathers? And you think about this because you understand the life of Paul. Before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor, a prosecutor to the Christians. He was a terrorist against the church. Now his conscience is cleared because on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus Christ and his sins, all of his sins were forgiven of him. So Paul, with a clear conscience, can say that he was also faithful in ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was faithful. He has a clear conscience because he, he has done wrong to no one. And he has a clear conscience in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, that is a conscience that we should be uh, focusing on. Can we honestly say that we have a clear conscience? Yes, we can. First, let me read what Paul said. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, 27, he says, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. He was a terrorist, remember, persecuted church. He said, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Two things, innocent of blood, and he has not shunned to declare the whole counsel of the word of God, the whole Bible. That's why we teach book by book, verse by verse. And so... He had a clear conscience. Now, a conscience can be defined as an inner feeling that acts as a guide to the rightness and wrongness of one's behavior. You see, God has created man with a conscience. Every man has a conscience created in him and her. We all have this moral compass. Everyone knows that committing murder is, is wrong. Doesn't matter, you know, what part of the world you come from. You know, it's wrong. We all have a conscience also. When we do right or wrong, our conscience tells us that we are either at odds with the God the Creator, God the Creator, or at peace with Him. You see, for the unbeliever, they will never be at peace with God because their conscience is unclear, impure. However, when we come to Christ, our conscience is clear and it's pure. All the wrong that we have done, all the sins that we have committed against God is now cleared and forgiven. It's pure. It's washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why I don't know if you have that experience when you surrender your life to Jesus. You say something feels different. I feel like this weight has been lifted from me. I feel free. Yes. Yes. 
all the sins that you have committed before the cross has been a burden on your life. And now when we come to Christ, we have a pure conscience. And we continue in that life of Christ. We continue to live forgiven with a clear conscience so that anything we do, we fail. Are we perfect? By far. We still blow it, blow it every now and then. We still sin. But we're forgiven of sins that we've committed in the past through the blood of Christ. The sins we committed in the past, the sins we're committing now, and the sins after that. But when we do sin, we come to the cross and, and we confess our sins to one another. We, we repent of those sins. And because that's the work of the Holy Spirit, that's what the Holy Spirit does. We have a conscience, but the Holy Spirit, the conscience would alert us. They say, you did something wrong. And the Holy Spirit say, yes, you did it. <laughs> here's, the word to, here's the word of the Lord. Uh, when you look through, your, through the scriptures, it tell you what you've done wrong. We're going to do it better next time. It's not condemnation. There's a difference. Many Christians feel that the Holy Spirit is bringing condemnation of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy wants to let you know, oh, you blew it. You shouldn't be a Christian anymore. The Holy Spirit said, listen, we all blow it. God expected that from you. God expected that from you. God expects me to blow it all the time. He expects you to blow it. He's not surprised when we... When we fall, he's not surprised. He's not up there with a baseball bat ready to swing it at you when you when you mess up. No, he expects it. But he also expects us to come to him to ask for forgiveness and to repent of our sins. Now, to serve God with a pure conscience does not mean it does not require perfection in performance. It is a matter of intention and a desire to love and serve Christ even when we fail. Now, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, says that I serve with a pure conscience just as, as my forefathers did, he's speaking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, um, David. Were they perfect? Absolutely not. It's amazing when you look at the lives of the forefathers in the Old Testament. Start from Adam. Adam blew it too, right? In the garden. Moses comes, oh, Moses blew it till he was a murderer. Abraham, a liar. (laughs) Jacob, deceiver. King David, murderer and an adulterer. And you see, you look and it just, I love the fact that the Bible is honest. It doesn't hide. It's honest because it's there to let us know that we're not perfect. We're not perfect. But in Christ Jesus, it's amazing when you read the scriptures. We study that in Colossians says that we are complete in him. You have no lack. When you come to Christ, you lack nothing. You're perfect. They say, wait a minute. You're holy. Wait a minute. You know, again, positionally, because of Christ, you are perfect. You're complete. You're holy. Practically, we need to continue to work towards that as we glorify God with our lives. However, we serve God with a pure conscience. Um, and just like the forefathers, they served with a pure conscience. They, 
Their intentions, their desire was to love and serve God. And that should be our desire, to love and serve God. And so like the Apostle Paul, the forefathers we find in the scriptures who are not perfect, like you and like me, we are not perfect, but our conscience is pure, clear, forgiven because of the blood of Christ. And so Paul says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did. He goes on in verse 3. It says, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. It's no secret as you read all of Paul's epistles, you find the apostle Paul praying. He was a man of prayer. And it's so important. The life of a Christian should be one that prays. How often do we talk to people? We, we text people on the phone. We, we respond and reply to emails. We, we, we're on social media. How much time do we give to God? <laughs> He's only the one that created you. He's the one that died for you. And he's the one that gives eternal life. And so Paul was a man of prayer. And he prayed night and day as he lift up his beloved son, Timothy. Now he's saying, Timothy, I've been praying for you night and day without ceasing. Can you imagine your name on the Apostle Paul's prayer list? That's amazing. But we can go one further. We can go one further. You are on the prayer list of Jesus Christ. You know, in his book, The Holy Spirit, Who He Is and What He Does, good book, I recommend it, R.A. Torrey. He writes about his ministry and his missions. And during his ministry, as he travels around the world, he would write letters uh, to his brothers and sisters in the Lord from all over And he felt that the more letters he wrote to people about him and asking for prayer, the more people would be praying for him until he realized that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the one that intercedes for us. Romans chapter 8, verse 34 says, It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also make intercession for us. The right of Hebrews write this, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Think about that. Right now, he's interceding for you and I. He always has. Something to keep in the back of your mind and deep within your heart to always remember that when you ask people for prayer, we should pray for one another. We should ask for prayer. But understand this, there is one that intercedes for you, Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Running the Race with Pastor Eddie. Have you ever wondered why there are so many letters written in the New Testament? 1 Timothy is just one of many letters that gives you some insight into the ministry that was happening after the time that Jesus lived here on earth. There were struggles and there were successes. But you realize that as great as those missionaries and pastors were, they were also just human. They had strengths, weaknesses, discouragements, and moments of triumph. Isn't it great to know and to relate to people in the Bible? They're spiritual pillars in some ways. But you come to realize that they were people that God used, just like He can use you in this time and place. We're so glad you joined us today for Running the Race. 
If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. Once again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. We hope you'll refer to our website for additional resources that include hearing these messages again or learning about the church behind the ministry. Join us again for another edition of Running the Race. I'm reaching-